Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. I'm in, I'm in class, uh, you know, just we're, we're do, I'm running my class. We're talking about perspective. I'm just watching the students do their work and stuff like that. And, you know, perusing around, I have a very like, I don't know, kind of quiet walk and a go and gaze on what everybody's doing and don't want to disturb. And one of mm. my students just out of nowhere, as I'm walking around, just looks at me and she's like, I, I've been meaning to tell you something. Are you in the mafia? And I, I, I just didn't even know how to respond because immediately I'm like, oh my, okay, what's the, what's the appropriate response in this situation? So I, I look at her and I was just like, is it because I'm Italian? Like, why, why, why do you think that? She's like, oh, I don't know. You know, you, you just, it's like, I don't know. Like, you have that kind of like vibe, you know? And I'm trying to wrap my head like, no, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. Like, what? and I'm also like, to keep in mind, was, was this one of your athleisure days? Like, were you wearing no. like Adidas? Well, I was, I was wearing Adidas sneakers, but I had like Adidas sneakers, uh, rust orange corduroy pants and like a flannel mm. that's like a darker green, black and like with a kind of faded orange stripe in it. So I'm in more like, you know, indie sort of rock band vibes. Like uh-huh. that's what I have on. I'm not wearing anything that would indicate that I would be a part of the mafia. So I was like, I, I don't understand. I was like, I asked that, and she's like, yeah, I don't know, you have the vibe. And she's like, I don't know, I feel like you could be wearing, like, a dark suit or something and walking into class that way. So I was like, if I was in the mafia, do you think I would be doing this job? You know? Because presumably I would have other things. I was like, I'd probably have sanitation or something. I'd have other, you know what I mean? She's like, I don't know what you do. Like, maybe, maybe this is your day job and you do that by night. Yeah, I didn't wow. really know how to quite respond, but I guess that was one of my bonding instances with students. So I have that under wraps now. I think they came to the conclusion that it's because of my hair. Mm. So I don't know. But I guess I can add that to my list of looks like they're in the mafia. Got it. Wow. All right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's it's extra funny knowing you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, and I fa- get. I guess to them, you're this authoritative figure. You're, yeah. yeah. You're you're quiet. You're soft spoken. You know. You mm. always like. You've probably got a smirk. Like I know what's going on here. <laughs> um, but gosh, wow. I the, know. Wow, they clocked you. They did. The ironic part is I wore a trench coat the next class, so mm. that didn't help. I guess my look. But what are you gonna do? Mm. Yeah. I mean, meanwhile, I. It's been so long uh, since I've been in Italy. I actually recently ran into one of our old professors uh, in New York. He was visiting, and I forgot to go left first and kissed him on the mouth. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, Zan. <laughs> so I I was not channeling the Italian energy like you were, apparently. Mm, apparently not, no, but that's okay. It happens. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I wonder... What what crocodilian gives the most mafioso vibes? Hmm. Well, to add on to that, we do have the mugger crocodile. 
Oh, there you go. That, that works. Okay, <laughs> that works. This well. this reptile commits crimes. <laughs> oh my yeah, god! They they not not from Italy, but definitely has the no. um, mafioso vibe. Hmm. Okay. Are there are there any crocodilians in Italy? I don't think it's so. not too far north. Not anymore. Hmm. Mm. There we go. Wow. Yeah. This is this is why the, you know Europe. You know, with no more crocodiles, this is this is why the alligators called the lizard. This is what happens. <laughs> they forgot. Oh, <laughs> yeah. forgot. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we have someone that can actually answer mm-hmm. our questions because, as people can probably tell, we have Crikey, it's Christian returning to another exhibition here at the Uncanny County Museum. Uh, I mean, we have so many great guests on, but uh, Christian, it is always, always mm-hmm. a pleasure uh, to have you here, to have your expertise, uh, and to tell us when we're profoundly wrong <laughs> uh, about things that I half remember from science classes going on seven years ago. Well, you guys are doing great, so it's <laughs> definitely going to be an exciting episode as we talk about the crocs throughout uh, history. Yes, we're returning yeah. the the oh oh did, have you have you checked your kitchen because the crock pot is still on. Ooh. We are returning. We are returning to see what's what's left in there after we had our our, our discussion last week. I think you know even though we went into the evolution of crocodiles, I had been more tempted to talk about it because of the sort of topical uh, issue of what do we do with the resurgence of crocodiles coming back to their um their sort of old stomping grounds is is that something that is ever part of a conversation with uh you and your work i mean you're not living in a place with wild crocodiles but is that a conversation in the con in the conservation world Certainly so. I mean, when it comes to crocs today, we have around 26 to 20 di- 27 different species, about a third oh, of wow. which are critically endangered. So yes. that can be something we talk a little bit later in the episode in more depth. But today we're going to talk about some crocs of the past and those that aren't here anymore. Um, mm. This exhibit, if we look through the howl, is called uh, Croc of Ages. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if the museum got the, the rights from Def Leppard, but... We can, technically, uh, it's from the technically Rock of Ages is from the Bible. I'm pretty sure that thing's fair but use. That's gonna be open source at this point. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, I'm I'm just leading the way. I I, I don't yeah, yeah. No. I don't the legalities here. <laughs> There's the yeah. litigator here, you know, so it's fine. Honestly, the the it's even I've seen the show Rock of Ages. There is no Def Leppard music in it. In fact, they couldn't get the rights to any of Def Leppard's <laughs> music for the show. <laughs> Oh, man. But yeah, I mean, as we look through different crocs, um, actually, as we walk through uh-huh. the exhibit hall now, you guys touched briefly a little bit last time about some of the ones from the past. Um, Ephigia was one that came to mind, but another one related uh-huh. not too far off from Ephigia, um, getting right into it, was Poposaurus. Um, Ooh, if we look at our model of Poposaurus right here, life-sized and uh, fully This is the other Italian crocodile, the Poposaurus. <laughs> the Poposaurus. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> do you think, do, wait, would you think that Poposaurus would be with uh, the police, though? As the Popo? I think oh. Poposaurus mm. would be in either, 
Hmm, maybe he, like, runs the police, you know? Ah, uh, the Poposaurus. Hmm. Uh, that's, ah, uh, that's tough. That's tough. Well, I'm sure eventually we'll get to, like, Pompocosaurus, and it just has <laughs> its balls out the whole time. <laughs> a Ghibli reference? That was, that was a that was a Miyazaki, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, wait, did Miyazaki do Pompoko or it was just Studio Ghibli? I don't know. Yeah. That's a later well, thing. We'll find out. Well, next, it, it, darn it. Now we need to get a Ghibli expert on here next week. Yeah, <laughs> got to do a whole new <laughs> side part of it. Yeah. Yes. Okay, I'm sorry Anyways. for derailing. But uh, yes, Poposaurus. I, this is not a crocodile, a crocodilian that I'm super familiar with. Um, and it looks vaguely like a dinosaur i think that would be most people's reaction if they had seen this without seeing the big um uh hall of suchians sign that we went past it is giving dinosaur vibes yeah and Mm -hmm. and that's a great point to make zan is that throughout uh crocodilians history they are archosaurs you explained last episode archosaurs Mm -hmm. have had a long reign from 250 million years and throughout this time especially the crocodilians uh pseudosuchians and the like um have crafted into different forms commonly what you'll hear today whether it's a wildlife show or program is that crocodilians have been unchanged for their entire history absolute Mm -hmm. amazing predators that haven't changed a single bit since their origins when in reality, it couldn't be further from the truth. And if we look at Poposaurus right here, it shows us exactly that. When you look at mm-hmm. Poposaurus, it's not sprawling quadrupedal and living in the water. It, like as you guys said, looks like a dinosaur. It's bipedal. It lives on two feet and walks around with its mm-hmm. uh, two hands available in front of it. While possibly not necessarily grasping like some other dinosaurs, it still very much looks like a dinosaur itself. And around this Mm -hmm. time too, around 216 million years ago when Poposaurus was around, was an interesting time for both dinosaurs and crocodilians where they really were each other's competition. Many dinosaurs Mm -hmm. were getting their start, uh, developing into the forms that we may later see. But also crocodilians Mm -hmm. took their own route in a very similar fashion. And this convergence was the competition that laid between each other. And in some ways, as we continue throughout the Crocs history, we're going to see the other forms that they've taken that many wouldn't expect. Right. This is this kind of goes into a one a question that we went we touched on it briefly last time that that crocodilians had been uh, also you know, going in, going in a certain direction that uh, dinosaurs would perfect, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to, you know, moving more efficiently than other reptiles, uh, you know, being able to get big. Um, but it w- when you see something like Poposaurus, where it's, it totally has that, that bipedal posture, the non-dragging tail, um, you know, this totally looks like, you know, something that, you know, is comparable to an early dinosaur. What, what is, is there a consensus on what exactly, you know, made, uh, dinosaurs, uh, just better at the, the bipedal predator thing, like that, uh, that they, they would 
continue with this and wouldn't stay in the same competitive sphere with crocodilians. I mean, I guess my other thing is like, or is this more of a problem with like how we as humans like look at classification? Like if, if we classified things differently, like, would we also consider this another offshoot of dinosauria? Like are, are, did, I, I guess that my, did crocodilians like evolve this kind of like independently of dinosaurs of like euparcaria and uh, those guys? Yeah, so for many animals, even in nature today, you have an occurrence called convergent evolution, where mm-hmm. two different uh, species or even somewhat related species go in different directions, yet go towards the same overall body plan or same overall niche um, yeah. and develop similar adaptations because of it. In the case of Poposaurus, yes, this bipedal um, carnivorous animal went the same route that was very similar to dinosaurs. Now, Mm -hmm. there is a little bit of contention um, in some spheres about what exactly it was that dinosaurs uh, succeeded over when it came to crocodilians. And Mm -hmm. in nature, usually we find that generalist animals end up succeeding best. Take, um, you know, in Mm -hmm. the modern sense, raccoons, bears and Mm -hmm. the like are animals that can eat different types of food, aren't incredibly specialized, which allows them to... um, work around different uh, ecological changes and things that go on. Now, mm-hmm. in the case of Pulposaurus and many of these bipedal crocs, we may not fully have the answer just yet, but uh, at least the f- potentially first dinosaurs may have been a little bit more adaptable in their diet or mm. may have been able to uh, adapt better to certain temperatures and changes than uh, some of these crocs, which would have led to be mm. their success. You know, it's interesting to speculate but if dinosaurs didn't seem to get the start over crocs they could have very well potentially this is speculative mm-hmm. been the dominating force over dinosaurs in mm-hmm. some sort of alternate type of history interesting i guess that's huh. that's sort of the crazy and again like this is you know trying to equate what we have with modern biodiversity compared to mesozoic but it is kind of crazy to think that dinosaurs were just better enough at this that those those few small predators from the Triassic diversify into the all of pretty much all of the large animals all over the earth, all of the large terrestrial vertebrates, and that it's it's kind of odd that they're all related to each other. They have a common ancestor, and they're uh, it's uh, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting to think about that. It's it, you know they're they're all fairly closely related to each other, and they are also the food chain. Hmm. You know, they're they're also the they're the they are that they are all filling out that large uh, vertebrate uh, biosphere. And I guess you could say something similar about mammals now. Um, But it it is interesting that, and maybe it was because, I don't know, because they were warm-blooded, because they had a fully formed four-chambered heart. I I don't know if the very earliest ones did, but it is, it's kind of interesting that they just were that much, just just had some slight edge. Mm -hmm. And... To note, to note on that too, it's mm-hmm. 
as dinosaurs ended up becoming the dominating force and became um, mm-hmm. the major species in the age of reptiles, even though Poposaurus and some of its relatives didn't mm-hmm. take that same route, that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that crocs weren't successful. And as right. we currently uh, walk our way out of the Triassic, we're going to then make our way towards the Jurassic period. And mm-hmm. our next model right here is completely different from Poposaurus. It's Dacosaurus. Um, mm-hmm. If we look at Dacosaurus uh, based off its model, it is very fish-like. It's very shark-esque yeah. in its body plan. Um, instead of being bipedal with its hands uh, near its body, we see that its limbs are very flipper-like, more akin mm-hmm. to a shark or dolphin, and its tail is less like a dinosaur's and more compressed um, for the water. Dacosaurus is what's called a metriorhynchid, or metriorhynchids were a group of crocodilians that completely went the other direction from going on land and instead specialized for the oceans and, and open sea. Wow. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Wow. What did was was this something that the and and I mean it's it's hard to know with like you know the fossil record is always limited like but is this if this is in the Jurassic this is also contemporaneous with like all of the uh big marine reptiles you know the ichthyosaurs uh and uh and Leopleurodons and uh, all of this other stuff like were these uh were 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 they competition for them as well certainly so um obviously with these large oceans filled with different uh life forms the food webs of oceans are incredibly complex and in some ways even mm-hmm, more complex sure. than uh, terrestrial ones on land so mm-hmm. for the metrorhynchids these guys were relatively diverse. You had ones that were more narrow-snouted and focused more on fish. And then you have one mm-hmm. like Dacosaurus, which with its more um, robust skull would have been um, a predator of several different types of fish to even uh, sea turtles and even other marine reptiles. So mm. carnivory in oceans, it really is. There there may always be that bigger fish. And in the case of Dacosaurus, there certainly were um, smaller marine reptiles that were on the menu for it. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about last time, like, th- not not that they're directly related, but uh, the the idea of uh, being in the ocean, like you know, going between right. like the Indonesian islands, and suddenly there's a saltwater crocodile. Yeah. Like, it's it's not it's not completely removed, but it's it is it's it, it's an animal. I guess you kind of forget about being in the open ocean. Right. And yeah. I, and very much we, the Metriorhynchids would have gotten their start as possibly uh, freshwater animals that were, mm-hmm. you know, likely living similar lifestyles to crocodilians today, as the yeah. oceans then gave them access to uh, brackish water and then finally salt water. They would have developed likely very similar um, adaptations to saltwater crocodiles in the sense of at least salt glands to handle salinity and mm-hmm. um, being able to travel long distances of open ocean, turning into the animals that they were. Um, mm-hmm. They were successful throughout the Jurassic into the early Cretaceous until um, more well-formed individual individual species like mosasaurs um uh, mm-hmm. were very dominant in the cretaceous okay. period plesiosaurs right so this is before yeah. essentially that 
Right. Yes. These, gotcha. these guys would be, uh, I believe, technically before Mosasaurs, and Mosasaurs oh, wow. definitely came in with a bang uh, when they finally <laughs> right. came yeah. to the ocean. So. Right. Right. Yeah, and Mosasaurs are interestingly more related to lizards. Yeah, um, right. Mosasaurs huh. themselves are in a different branch. They're in Squamata, so Squamates, um, yeah. for short, are lizards and snakes. Where oh. Mosasaurs exactly um, are in that branch, whether they're closely more closely related to snakes or more closely related to lizards, is under some contention still. But definitely, yeah. um, just incredibly successful animals in the oceans. Uh, besides the Metrorecans. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, this is really interesting. This yeah. is a group of crocodilians I, I had no familiarity with. Yeah, and I, I mean, we're we're just getting started, so... Yes, oh, okay, man. Show, show us more. <laughs> so we... Croc my world. Right, right. So <laughs> we, we got to Pulposaurus on the land. We got to Dacosaurus in the oceans. Now, right. both these animals are carnivorous, as we had discussed. Mm-hmm. And in general, crocodilians are mainly pictured as carnivorous animals, eating fish, hmm. other reptiles, mammals even. But not all crocodilians were carnivorous. In fact, we have mm-hmm. some that oh. were completely the other direction as herbivorous and ate a diet of plants. Mm-hmm. Really? Huh. If we look at this uh, squat fellow right here, we are now in the Cretaceous period. And this is Simosuchus. Hello, oh, Simosuchus. Now, Simosuchus <laughs> is smaller. It's a little bit more mm-hmm. of a... He's a little chunky, I will say. A chunk, yeah, he's a, a chunk boy. Yeah, he's a chunk boy. In overall form. Um, a chonkadile. Right, chonkadile. Nice. And his, uh, Simosuchus's limbs are a little bit more robust. There's the potential that Simosuchus may have been um, fossorial, or at least a burrower. Uh, to some degree, mm. um, but definitely was terrestrial living on the land. And its teeth were more akin to um, herbivorous lizards, herbivorous reptiles in general, uh, pointing to the fact that it was an herbivorous crocodilian. Interesting. Interesting. That's fascinating. It's not something I would think of, of thinking of a crocodilian, that it's like, oh, yeah, actually, they eat, you know, they're herbivores. It's just a very, it's a fascinating, like, switch in this way for me. So I'm trying to wrap my mind around it for a moment. Right. Yeah, it because everything we think about with crocodilians is about them being predators, about right. them, you know, uh I, I guess that th- th- they're just, you know, a maw of of teeth, yeah. you know, usually. <laughs> That's how you picture them, I guess. And funny enough, a fun fact about modern crocs today, anecdotally we've heard quite a few times that crocodilians today will even eat fruit at times when possible. Really? Really? Um, yeah, there's some times huh. where uh, fruiting trees uh, nearby rivers may drop some of their fruit that crocodilians have been, again, anecdotally seen eating the fruits themselves. Now, whether um, it may have been accidental, this is something that we've okay. seen more than one occurrence. Interesting. I could also see a situation where nothing against crocodilians. They're not I know we talked about how they're more intelligent than a lot of types of reptiles. They're still not super bright, and they might just attack something that fell in the water. Right, and again, that's, you know, it's in an anecdotal sense, um, something that a few few researchers have seen themselves. It doesn't surprise me, though, 
if yeah uh, at the same time crocodilians are able to sense kind of what's in the water and get a an idea of what's in front of them although there are times where they may ingest something that isn't preferable it doesn't it doesn't uh surprise me if there was the research that says that yes they do actually consume fruit at times because carnivory and herbivory are not always a straight path there are times where you hear stories of deers eating uh baby uh bird chicks oh i've seen i've seen that it's brutal too right like the when when uh it's like on an island where they don't have a lot of nutrients so they like they eat the baby birds for the calcium Mm -hmm. and even let's say drabs for example drabs uh show a behavior that's called osteophagy osteo meaning bones and Mm -hmm. phagy meaning to consume drabs will routinely find bones and not fully swallow them but at least lick them for nutrients and calcium oh interesting That, hmm. So is that just something, I mean, not to, not to like tangent into this for a moment, but it's always mm. been one of these fascinating things to me, you know, learning about this because, you know, again, usually it's like, oh, okay, if you're a carnivore, you eat meat. If you're a herbivore, you eat uh, plants. There you go. Done. End of story. No in between at all, at least the way it's taught at a base level. So is that just, is it, is it like an instinctual thing within most animals to just know, like within where, where nutrients can be located, like in the case of finding the calcium and bones for giraffes or the, unfortunately, you know, the baby birds for the deers. Like, is that just something that they adapt to know how to, to, to need those uh, nutrients and then go after them for the sake of not being able to get it? Well, definitely when it comes to animal behavior, it's, it's multifaceted. So sure, there yeah. could have been a point where giraffes or any ungulate is seeking um, nutrients, whether it's calcium, mm-hmm. phosphorus, salt. Um, in again, not to go too far in the tangent, in icy roads for in sure. like say Alaska, for example, where they put ice on the snow to melt it, moose will find the salt and consume it because they need oh. salt in their nutrients. Um, again, we very commonly put these very hard lines on what is a carnivore and what is an herbivore, but at times it can it can get a little blurred. Um, even right. uh, wolves and canines who are primarily thought as carnivores will eat fruits in their respected locations or um grasses and plants when available gotcha yeah it's very interesting yeah i mean i guess also there's the the only thing i guess that really separates it is you need just uh you need the the gut length and the and the bacteria as long as you have that you can you know kind of you you need those things to digest them typically too and right I, I i imagine a lot of animals probably also have like on some instinctual level like like the same way as like as, as humans when we have cravings uh, for certain foods it's our bodies telling us that it you know not not to be uh uh old school tumbler here but you know we crave that mineral uh <laughs> ah interesting i always forget about that you know to be honest i was like because i was about to ask oh well what's our instinctual you know way of doing it? i, oh, I mean i i have i have sense. no idea if this is true or not Back but i have heard like <laughs> yeah it, it, it like the idea that like if you're craving chocolate you're you know it could be the sugar but it could also be the magnesium you oh. know hmm. that your that your body's craving uh yeah I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, know I don't know what else that. has magnesium if you're having a chocolate craving. Just find uh, the good old salt lick out there and just start, mm. start licking rocks, you know? <laughs> yeah, I got it. Oh, man, let me go find. Got to get yeah. my nutrients. But yeah, no, um, as for, for 
for for something like Simon Suchus to to get into, you know, the, this whole this whole uh, lineage of omnivorous or herbivorous uh, crocodilians, it's really unlike a lot of things today. And I guess there, are, aside from like iguanas, uh, I guess there aren't really a ton of like reptiles that we think of as herbivores in general, as far as like modern reptiles go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely have a uh, a vast array of different lizards. Uh, yeah, no, no herbivorous snakes or anything like that, but definitely uh, herbivorous lizards is is major. Mm-hmm. Uh, turtles and tortoises. Uh, oh yeah, green sea of... green sea turtles. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Um, okay, well, again, very very uh, charming little crocodilian. Uh, and also possibly lived in a burrow, something else that I guess you never think of with uh, right. crocodilians. Right. And as we uh, currently are in the Cretaceous period, uh, Simosuchus was from Cretaceous Madagascar. Zan, I know you had mentioned uh, an interest in some of our largest crocs, and in Ooh, this yes. part of the exhibit is definitely has enough space for them. And we have some of the largest crocs today right in front of us, or at least some Whoa. of the largest crocs of the past. We have Dinosuchus, Sarcosuchus, and Perusaurus. The Whoa. biggest that they get. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I almost feel like a car dealership salesman. It's like, yeah, what kind of coffee are you looking for? This is, this how, is much, how much to put you into this, Dinosuchus? <laughs> yeah. This baby will take you for miles. <laughs> and, and these are the largest crocs that we know of today. They are uh-huh. just astronomically uh-huh. large. They are... All three of these species are known to at least get around 30 to 40 feet in length. Um, oh, my God. And wow. in the case of, let's start with Sarcosuchus. Sarcosuchus is from the earlier Cretaceous period, um, around 133 to 112 million years ago in North Africa. Sarcosuchus mm-hmm. Imperator is, <laughs> just like That's the other amazing. two, just a massive animal. But what's interesting mm-hmm. about it is that Sarcosuchus has a snout that's very much varies and differs from our other two in that it's very uniform and then finally reaches this sort of bell uh bell right. end um that is just very characteristic the only crocodilian at least today would be similar to that of a gharial which we can talk about later mm-hmm. but gharials have a very specific uh snout because they have a piscivorous diet sarcosuchus mm-hmm. would have definitely eaten large fish and there is some debate of whether they ate dinosaurs but oh. it actually isn't a crocodilian at all it's a crocodilomorph a crocodilian relative hmm okay very interesting so this is uh to go back to the uh article that we had touched on last time this is Again, going into this idea that crocodilians, it's not so much that they're unchanged for millions of years, it's that they keep returning to this form that seems to be very effective. That, you know, is while not as big as these varieties, this um this sort of uh close close to land but aquatic uh predator like large, large predator. Mm-hmm. Well, again, generalists, as we talked about, succeed quite well. If you right. are 
basically a Swiss army knife in your uh, environment, this gives you the leeway to work with different changes in your um, that may occur. With mm-hmm. the semi-aquatic model or this sort of um, niche that you're filling, you are able to go on land and uh, mate, lay your eggs, and even consume uh, prey. But in the water, you're also filling up an entire niche of its own and being able to then have access to food that's in the water, be able mm-hmm. to a lot of crocodilians that are semi-aquatic mate in the water so you are more buoyant, so you don't have to deal with the gravitational um, effects of being on land to reproduce. In there. <laughs> but as we go on to Dynasty... <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. <laughs> it's the silence. <laughs> just just add in cricket sounds yeah, there. Sure. <laughs> Christian's trying to keep us in the time limit here. Really working yeah. hard. And I appreciate yeah, you that, so that, much. That's for just it. that it, it's a testament to what a professional Christian yes. is compared to us. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> as we look at Dinosugus, Dinosugus is equally as large. It's from the later Cretaceous period. And mm-hmm. rather than having that um, Gariel S type of snout, it's a little bit more robust. And Dinosuchus has actually had some evidence that may point that it actually did pursue dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some That's fossil fun. evidence from some herbivorous dinosaurs that uh, have puncture wounds that very similarly match the teeth of Dinosuchus itself. So Dinosuchus was from Cretaceous North America, um, mm-hmm. has been found throughout um, some parts of Appalachia. Texas oh. is a major state that uh, Dinosuchus has been found. And wow. huh. again, lived at a time where you have horned ceratopsian dinosaurs, like uh, not necess- not triceratops, but relatives of triceratops, um, right. hadrosaurs, and many others alike. And just to think, dinosaurs were still so dominant at this point and knowing that this bus-sized crocodilian was also in the water too would really just paint the picture for just a very unique ecosystem yeah god i guess that croc was in sport mode this time you know (laughs) (laughs) uh god um no that's uh it's but it's also like the you know the crocodile waiting in the river for the wildebeest to come by but you know just the the size is you know you know multiply the size times you know uh 150 like the you know you could picture a horned dinosaur drinking out of a river but then there's this enormous uh dinosaur sized crocodile right and Mm -hmm. just this it's some type of predator that uh as a herbivorous dinosaur and you're thinking about tyrannosaurs and other large carnivores that might be in the area and even mm-hmm. the water's edge still had its um its worries or its own things to to fear when going into the water mm-hmm. um not to paint crocs as sort of menacing creatures but truly as as any um as any animal having to have both sides of it where you have lions on one end and a crocodile in, in the African waters, mm-hmm. it really um, makes it harder for herbivorous dinosaurs right. to catch a break. Yeah. Right. What, what types of uh, dinosaurs have they found the bite marks on? 
I believe it was a horn ceratops and dinosaur called Aguha ceratops. The Aguha formation uh-huh. is a formation in Texas where Dinosuchus has been found. Um, mm-hmm. And Aguha ceratops is one of those dinosaurs that I believe was one of the ones that had the uh, potential bite marks in um, its bones. Interesting, interesting. And finally, we get to Purusaurus. And what's interesting about Dinosuchus and Purusaurus is that they are crocodilians proper. They are the ones we recognize today. They are related to the ones we have today. Crocodilians, Uh as we know today, evolved around 90 million years ago. So within that time range, survived the KT mass extinction, the KPG mass extinction, and then came into what we know as Cenozoic. Purusaurus... Mm -hmm is from the Cenozoic and about uh, during the Miocene. And Mm -hmm. this is a caiman, you know, a relative. uh, Caiman are crocodilians from South America, and Mm -hmm. Urosaurus is a caiman itself. Interesting. The size of a bus. Oh. Oh, what? Huh? Yes. It's it's so interesting, because to me, at least, I always think of caimans as, like, cute little alligators. You know, they're like, uh, they're they're just little guys, you know? Yeah, it's, it's it's insane to think of a giant <laughs> caiman. Yeah. And when we look at all three of these species, the the factors of how to get big um, mm-hmm. really come down to uh, temperature, habitat and prey resources. Right. If you have a, the warm enough temperatures in order to have an ectothermic animal survive the space that allows it to grow and without much competition in its way Mm -hmm. and the food the resources in order to get big although it could it can definitely be much more multifaceted than that those are the general building blocks that allow species like this to grow to these massive sizes Hmm. right and then i'm guessing by the name this is an animal from south america it is yeah perusaurus is from south america um also a a region known for particularly large dinosaurs right and potentially large anacondas from the documentary anaconda yes yes john john voight you know it's tough to you know follow david attenborough but you know (laughs) yes uh i i wonder how that uh fits into the documentary of piranha 3d I mean, I'm no ichthyologist, but I think it was spot. I mean, I, I think it's as right. spot on as as the Meg with Jason Statham. Absolutely, <laughs> and true, truly, you know, definitely the accurate depiction there. Oh right. God, yeah. Um, when is when is Peru uh Perusaurus uh around? Um, around 16 to 5.3 million years ago during the Miocene. This is a transition. Oh, time. okay, okay. So th- this is this is more recent this is not dinosaur times yes we we've passed the the kpg mass extinction now or the age of mammals we're in the cenozoic where at this time mammals are really developing they're really um carving a niche for themselves and evolving into different forms this is also around the same time um that intelodonts the um Mm. carnivores are around just to give a picture of some other species that existed around this time Hmm. um and not only do we have these massive animals in the water, we also mm-hmm. have massive crocodilians on land with no dinosaurs in the way. Wow. And one wow. of our very special 
uh, crux here is Burinasuchus, which is also from South America. Um, Burinasuchus uh, was around 4.2 to 11.8 million years ago. And what makes uh, Burinasuchus so interesting is that this is now a terrestrial carnivore, a terrestrial crocodilian, mm-hmm. with the dinosaurs, as we know, gone. Mm-hmm. Burinasuchus, for perspective, was around 15 to 20 feet long and terrestrial. Mm-hmm. This is a carnivore, a crocodilian that is the size of a saltwater croc that is adapted for land. Wow. Interesting. Uh, terrifying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I guess that's, it, it's so interesting. You don't really think about, I mean, there's, we, we've talked talked about megalania, but that's always been a, you know, Australia's got its own thing going on. This right. is, this is some, it feels like some hang on from the age of reptiles, but this is, you know, decently recent that there were these large terrestrial reptilian predators. Right. And Barinasugas definitely was, it was very much likely the apex predator in its ecosystem. Um, mm-hmm. In South America, where Barinasugas is from, it's uh, a Sebecid. That's the uh, group that it's in. So Sebecids were crocodilians that um, have been around since even before the KPG mass extinction. They were getting their feet I don't want to say getting their feet weathered. They were getting their feet dry <laughs> as they were getting as they were being suited for land. And right, right. there, the KPG mass extinction hits. They make it beyond that and then mm-hmm. establish oh. into animals like Burina Sucas. Mm-hmm. Are are all uh, the 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 living all of the crocodilians that we have left? Are they all? fairly closely related to each other or do we is it kind of like a, a more of a sample platter of uh these of these groups of crocodilians well the crocs of today are split into three different families we have mm-hmm. uh alligator alligatoridae which is our two species of alligator for those who don't know we have two species of alligator today the chinese alligator and american alligator and then from mm-hmm. there we have our caiman caiman are all throughout south america as we discussed and then finally, we have um, crocodilians proper. We have the true crocodiles. Crocodiles, uh, crocodilidae, are the most widely distributed out of the three families. They are in the, the New World of South America. They are in Africa. They're in Asia and, uh, and Australia. Mm, okay, so now, now this is starting to sound more like mafia talk. I think <laughs> the family. Now, now, the that, you, now that you put families? it in terms of family, now Joe can understand. I get how it, it now. Works. Now yeah. this makes sense to me. <laughs> and our final family is Gavialidae, which only has two surviving members left: uh, the Indian oh. gharial, which is from India and Nepal, and the oh. false gharial, also known as the Tomastoma. And the Tomastoma is from Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It always bothered me in the second Indiana Jones movie where they fall, where the bad guys are falling off the bridge and they're supposed to be in India and they're very clearly being torn apart or they're the dummies are being torn apart by American alligators. Really takes huh. you out of it. Yeah. 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 Ew. Not the, uh, not the guy reaching into that guy's chest and pulling out his, uh, heart. <laughs> that's believable. That, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. But the, the alligators really get you. <laughs> I mean, the fact that it was uh, staged is new to me. 
Mm, <laughs> true. Uh, but again, going back to the idea that crocs are completely unchanged, even the crocodilians that we have today are still diverse in their own ways. When we mm. think of the gharial, and for those who don't know what a gharial is, it is a crocodilian most closely related to crocodiles proper that has a very narrow snout with a with the males at least having a bulbous end at the end of their snout. And croc mm -hmm. these crocodilians are fish specialists. They are very well adapted to eating and consuming fish with their thin snout and their needle-like teeth allows them to move much faster compared to other crocodilians because fish want to escape their predators quickly. And because of which, to have a snout like that is adapted well to an environment or at least an ecosystem that fish are your primary target. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. makes sense when we look at alligators they have their u-shaped snout but commonly that a lot of people don't know that alligators do hunt turtles very often i wouldn't necessarily say a full specialist they are very generalized but turtles make up a very large majority of their diet if you ever look at the skull of an alligator the front end of the teeth look very crocodilian like in what you may picture but as we make our way towards the back they start to get more and more blunt and that is mm -hmm. for things like turtle shells and the like in order to crush um, and get through those sort of defenses of their prey. Oh. Yeah. No, it is, it is interesting because like when, when you do start to notice the difference uh, in, in their snouts and everything, and I, I know it's a, it's a joke, like, you know, like the pe people's ignorance of, you know, whether or not something's a crocodile or an alligator, but you do realize like how different they how differently shaped their mouths are it's it's really oh, yeah. interesting and gharials are you know yeah. it, it's a type of animal that not a lot of people i think even know about i did not know about it i looked up a photo and was like oh okay never seen that before <laughs> so it's yeah i mean honestly that is how i have learned the difference between alligators and crocodiles was from their snouts just it the visuals help for sure to figure mm -hmm. it out but yeah, I didn't, I didn't honestly never really realized how many different types there are and like just how it's like the subtle changes between them all, you know, it's interesting. Mm, yeah. At least with alligators, they'll see you in a while. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Always love a, a Bobby Charles uh, mm, reference. Yeah. Well, at least gators will see you later and crocodiles will see you in a while. Gharials don't have a catchy end to their, uh, to their farewells, mm. you know? Right. Mm. So, so for modern crocodilians, we we think of them as as kind of a unit because they're all pretty superficially similar. Um, in, in terms of you know they're they're all living generally the same lifestyle, uh, semi aquatic. Um, is this a situation kind of like with big flightless birds where? they themselves are diverse, but ratites are, ratites do actually have like a, a common uh, flightless bird ancestor that did fly at one point, but then, you know, they all, uh, uh, they, they lost their ability to fly and, and spread out and, and diversified and stuff. I like, are all of these living crocodilians, are they all from an ancestor that was, semi-aquatic survived the kpg extinction uh or did they all kind of independently go back to the water 
Well, I, as far as my knowledge, I, I cannot fully answer that one, but at least we know that again, uh-huh. going back to the, to the ecological niche, the convergent evolution uh-huh. that these yeah. lineages of Crocs all went back to the water for a reason. Now, uh-huh. although the land has its resources, many of the Crocs were outcompeted by mammals, um, including mm-hmm. two-handed ones with sharp sticks. And <laughs> as human influence uh, came from many of the Crocs, we did see a drop in Croc diversity. Before that, though, um, croc obviously, drop. a Croc drop, yeah. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> the KPG mass extinction would have hit. That would have definitely affected Croc diversity. From there, um, as mammals rose and evolved in different forms, crocodilians would have then taken another dip in their populations. As time mm. goes on, climate changes, crocs are lost again, and then finally, with human um, anthropogenic means, more crocs are lost. And you can kind of see this progression unfold with time. Today alone, we have around 26 to 27 different species of crocodilian, and around a third are critically endangered. And many others are still vulnerable with the threat of extinction. And unfortunately, what affects crocs today are the trade for leather um, as resources. Mm. Um, one example would be the Siamese crocodile. Um, pollution, uh, whether of toxic waste or general trash um, in their ecosystems. Bush meat, uh, taking animals from their habitat uh, for the trade of meat and consumption. Um, even climate change, as one may think that these ectothermic cold-blooded reptiles that this warming ecosystem would be great for them. A lot of crocodilians, or at least all of them, have what's called sex, uh, sex dependent, um, sex uh, temperature dependency, meaning that when a crocodilian lays its eggs, the temperature of the surrounding earth, surrounding soil that the eggs are in can affect the overall gender of the nest. Mm. Oh. So as temperatures fluctuate up and down, you may see an uptick in more male crocodilians or male females or more females. And in with that affects the overall population. Oh, wow. So the land like literally affects them like the temperature. Like that's, huh? That's really interesting Uh and not great in the case of the situations, but yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just the, the, uh, the, uh, needless slaughter of them for yeah. people's Croc Martins. <sighs> you know, I I've seen memes before where it's um, what is it? It's like someone holding a mouse. You know how mouse have like very dark, beady eyes, and right, <laughs> right next to it is a picture of a boba, like boba tea, <laughs> and <laughs> um, it's like, is it really is it really worth it? <laughs> yeah you know what i mean um so now i'm just thinking man you know crocs crocs the shoe are really successful a lot of people are buying them now and come on people like they're not that pretty i'm personally not a fan of crocs is it really worth taking more from the environment (laughs) i got a point there yeah it's uh yeah no it's uh i i mean i'm 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 pretty uh outspoken is not a fan of of croc shoes but you know it's uh it's it's hard to go against the tide you know maybe eventually one day they'll find a way to make a vegan croc shoe yeah uh but it's you know uh it's it's hard to have such wishful thinking these days although if they made a vegetarian version it would have to be 
Urkencroc. Couldn't it just be Mock? Mock Croc. Oh, yeah. that's good. Right? Yeah. 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 Mock Croc and Birkencroc. I like this. Birkencroc. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but mm-hmm. yeah, Birkenstock has their own kind of thing going with the, the Bostons, you know, which I think are like the upscale version of Crocs, but I don't mm. know. It's an interesting choice for sure. You don't get the sport. <laughs> you don't get the sport mode. But um, no, I mean, I think I think even like puns aside and stuff too, it's interesting because you know you've taken us through out all this history of crocodilians moving forward, how they were some apex, some really just dominating the environment or you know working within that, and then now it's this like almost it, it you know they're endangered at this point due to human. The, I mean, not even I don't even really say like necessarily human activity, but like just this, the decisions we've made. And things that are going on in the environment and how we manage it and what's happening, you know, with climate change and such. It's um Right. I don't know, it's 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 sad it's very sad, obviously, but then it's also just like and reflecting in a way too from that because you start to realize like how things get undone very quickly and how we can lose more, you know, how we can lose species this way too, based on material decisions and how we handle the environment, what we do to the environment too. Right. The um you know, especially as if areas, you know, become urbanized and everything, if there's something you don't want, you know, nearby where people are living, it's large carnivorous reptiles typically. And, you know, but, but that even is like that, that's putting some intentionality behind it. I feel like we, uh, also so many of these aren't even necessarily from, from direct hunting. It's, it's pollution. It's, uh it's so many other factors it's you know the 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 temperature thing is also something to yeah, uh, consider that i think gets left out of the conversation i'd heard it uh, i've heard that in reference i think to turtles but i i didn't know that affected uh crocodiles as well that's very interesting right and going back to the last episode you guys were talking about our relationship mm-hmm. with predators in general has back and forth um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm coexistence is especially ones with reptiles coexistence with mm-hmm. this public perception of a cold-blooded large malicious thing that just wants to eat people but in reality these animals were here much longer before us now right. trying to find that balance trying to find that coexistence is necessary if we want to preserve these species that again were here before we ever walked the earth and I think mm-hmm. as stewards of the land, it is our duty to at least offer them something in, in terms of having that space because we're, you know, we're only just a speck of time in terms of the grand yeah. scheme of um, geological history. And there is a way to do it. It's, there certainly is, are ways of coexistence. If you guys are familiar with, let's say, um, are either of you familiar with P-22, the mountain lion that lived in Los Angeles? Oh, wow. I'd heard of, uh, yeah, it, did, it died recently, right? Yeah, unfortunately, um, yeah. P-22 did pass away. But what mm-hmm. uh, P-22 definitely inspired was coexistence. This mountain mm-hmm. lion that lived in Griffith Park in the heart of Los Angeles, walking past the oh. Hollywood sign, was still able to live and thrive for a good chunk of its life in our mm-hmm. own backyards. Now, uh-huh. while other situations in other countries are, you know, much more faceted than than let's say our own backyard, that doesn't mean that it's impossible. And trying right. to find ways to do so 
is better than you know continuing to let these animals uh, meet their end in the wake of human propagation and human success. Yeah, mm-hmm, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's no. I mean, stuff like that is is very. It it does give you kind of that that hopeful bent, and you hope that um, people will start to incorporate uh nature into designs for uh uh for for cities and buildings as time goes on um i mean i i i do also think like something like crocodilians where they're they're reptiles they honestly spend a lot of their day laying in the sun they really don't eat that much for their body size uh, you know, as long as there's like some kind of safety so that, you know, your, your kiddie pool isn't next to where <laughs> right. the crocodiles live there, there does seem to be some potential there, um, you know, for, for some type of, uh, cohabitation. I think, you know, I don't, I don't want to hold, uh, Florida up as the, uh, as, as any type of, um, city on a hill in a lot of ways, especially in light of recent, uh, legislation. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there is on, honestly, like Floridians, it seems like usually have, have an understanding of don't go there. That's where the alligators are. We're going to go over here. Uh, and, and people understand, you know, don't feed them and they leave you alone. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because that's the thing, too. It's like I always wondered, like, you know, we have the means to create an infrastructure that in- could incorporate everything and everyone on the earth. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I, if the intentions were in line, I think that's always right. the key too. it's that not everybody has the intentions to do these things. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously like difficult, but at the same time, if we don't look for it and try and move that way and move our mindsets that way, then it never gets done yeah. and we're stuck in the sort of capitalistic hellhole that we're always in. So it's it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, I think it's important. I mean, I made that point like in the last uh, tour in episode two of like that, I don't know how it's going to get done. I know they're dangerous, like the saltwater crocodiles, and it's for sure a risk. But at the same time, like can you navigate an infrastructure to incorporate them rather than constantly putting, you know, one's needs first before animals that have existed here for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, uh, it, can it, can we, can we broker some, some deal with the alligators and crocodiles that, you know, live side by side in the Everglades, you know, mm. they figured out how to get along. It's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, those capybaras that hang out with those caiman. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seem to be doing all right. Yeah, dude, Cayman must eat capybara. Like, I, I, I always, I'm, I'm, yeah, uh. like those people post uh. those pictures and they're like, capybaras, like, are, are, you know, they just bring peace wherever they go, and it's like, I'm pretty sure they're just <laughs> not hungry. You know, the Cayman. Um, the there's different species of caiman throughout South America. The one that primarily right. eats capybara most are black caiman. Black caiman are ah. related to alligators. They're pretty large. They're around fifth can get around fifteen mm. feet long or so, and oh, um, okay. yeah. seldom seen. Um, a lot of South American waters are brackish, meaning that they're basically mm. you're swimming in chocolate milk. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> um, which is, you know, the perfect environment for a 15 uh, foot long ambush predator. But regardless, right. they're, you know, capybara, I, I love them. They're such amazing animals and they're super cute. But oh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I, and I, I, I occasionally see people online that have like dwarf caimans as pets. That's always something I'm slightly like. I'm I'm slightly like, can you have that as a pet? Like not not in terms of like legally, but just like I I don't know how much space you need to right. to have even a dwarf caiman as a pet. I can be the perfect spokesperson and say. Do not get that caiman. Caimans do not make great pets. <laughs> you heard it here. It takes, it, def- it takes a lot to take care of a caiman. I can tell you that. Mm. Uh, what do you, what do you know? You like work at a zoo or something? <laughs> I, I stand by my statement. I'm, you know, I'm cracky. It's Christian. I approve this message. <laughs> get I, be- I believe it. I believe it. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Wow. Well, this has been an incredible yeah. uh, overview of uh, crocodilians in, in a way that only you could have taken us through yes. this. Uh, we really, really love uh, hearing about this stuff in more detail and getting, you know, get getting to explore an aspect mm-hmm. of uh, biodiversity that not a lot of people know about. I think it's... Um, for a lot of people, it's it's enough to even know that alligators and crocodiles are different animals, much less, you know, all these different uh, bipedal uh, crocodilians right. and vegetarian crocodilians, you know? Yeah. yeah, this was awesome. Thank you so much, Christian, mm-hmm. again, for coming on and explaining this. I, I learned a lot, that's for sure. Yeah, and I'm always happy to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, as we leave the uh, Hall of Crocodilians, uh, I think we should head into Stick It or Ticket. Sounds good to me. All, All right. right. So, Joe, uh, do you have some perplexing bumper <laughs> stickers? Oh, I do. I have Ooh. some good ones. All right. So I guess I can list out a few that I found. Uh, one of... I guess I have, yeah, I had some I actually forgot to read uh, last time. Uh, the first being Bird Nerd, which I thought was kind of fun. Oh, you know, they're a real bird okay. nerd, you know? Who isn't at yeah, this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other was like kind of in line with the uh, map of Ireland one you said last time, which was, <laughs> it's it, tra- it literally said like, I don't know if this is a place or if this is just like a mistranslation, but it said, I love it, Croatia. And then there was a map outline, but it was like not, it wasn't Croatia. It was just a different territory. So I was very confused and just was reading it behind a red light. But this has to be my absolute favorite. And it's just said, yay, running. Two exclamation points for both of those. And that was it. Oh. Yeah. So they just really like running enough to have it in text on the car. <laughs> no, all power to them. All power to them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I yeah, personally am not cheering when I run. Just, but Yay, running. Yeah. It was just, very, it's like very much like, I don't know. It's just so strange, but I kind of love it. Mm, it's like an AI was driving that car. I think <laughs> yes. like there's, there's only two ends of the spectrum with running. There are people who really, really enjoy it, and there are people who absolutely yep. hate it, but know the benefits of it. And there's yep. no in between. No, I'm. Mm. I am the latter. It's very true. Mm. 
<laughs> I'm very much one of those people that I run or I like running. I couldn't tell you what my times are, hmm. but I just I'm one of those people that like, uh, you know, I you just give me a stretch of, you know, straight sidewalk and I just I just will go, man. Yeah. You know, like uh, maybe, maybe I should get in touch with the with that liver king guy, you know, just like that primal urge to just mm. run, you know, like what what's he doing these days? Uh, he got yeah. proved a fraud, so yeah, not great. Um, yeah, he did. He did what you're, you're telling you're telling me a, a a man who has like every uh conceivable pronounced muscle, in, some middle aged guy is is taking some some sort of uh supplement yeah well it turns out it wasn't just lifting all those rocks like in medieval i almost said medieval times i i i I bought so much liver and calf brain what am i gonna do with it no maybe make a pate i guess i i do like pate you did make that pate for us that one time which is pretty good thank you yeah um christian uh do you have any uh perplexing bumper stickers that you have seen recently not recently. Um, fortunately, I feel like I'm I'm really just not coming to the table here with some material, but I, I just haven't seen anything noteworthy other than the average, you know, MAGA sticker, but it's the best mm-hmm. I got. Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, I mean, worries. I, 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 I've been actively trying to not just bring in bumper stickers I see on the back of pickup trucks. Yeah. Uh, I did see one that had... It said "ye ye" with a with a uh, a blunderbuss or or like a shotgun, I think. Mm, okay, yeah, probably shotgun. Yeah, yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, the the "ye ye" was. Have was you never interesting. have you never heard that before? You have quoted "Show me your ye" quite. Oh a lot. yeah, that video. Yeah, that that'll do it. <laughs> that too. Well, I knew people in like high school who would act unironically go around saying like "ye ye" in like a you know southern accent. Mm, so interesting. Yeah. It's, so, so that's the, that's a cr- northeast approximation of. It's like people who think that they're rednecks and are racist. You know, it's that kind of a deal. Ah, okay. Or, or okay. yeah, it's a little odd. So I would say it's that kind of a flag for sure. Right. It's hard for me to keep up with the lingo of the young people, mm. you know, just like listening to uh, hanging out with my cousins, describing everything as uh, like, man, that dinner, total W. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was busting. <laughs> Do you have Riz, Zan? Did you have the Riz? Uh <laughs> Uh no, youth, I youth I know culture. the Grizz were our mm. competition in college. Oh, the 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 uh, U of M Grizzlies. Oh, what, gotcha. what's what's the Riz? It's a charisma. Yeah, if you have Riz, it means you I, have charisma. I kind of like that. It's I fun. Kind of like Once that. you get it, it's kind of I can see why people yeah, use it. I mean, yeah, okay, just okay. like everything, it'll get overused and then replaced. But. Mm-hmm, eh. mm-hmm. I put okay, okay. I put more uh, points in dexterity than charisma in my character sheet. <laughs> nice, excellent, always a good choice. Uh, you know, uh, it is it is interesting, like because uh, uh, like like I've been saying, I've been working my way through the Sopranos, which is I, I think a, a, a another ongoing theme here at the Uncanny County Museum. <laughs> Zan watching TV from twenty years ago. Um, <laughs> But it is fascinating, like all of the little the the lingos and touchstones that they insert into uh, Meadow Soprano. 
Yes. Uh, just like that she is looking back now, you understand this. Oh, this this was the millennial experience. Yeah. Of, you know, uh, complaining about your parents while listening to Maroon 5. <laughs> like, you know. Right. And uh, and and talking about 9-11. This is th- yeah. these these are people that are in their 40s now. Yeah, it's crazy. The Columbus Day stuff still held up, though. That just, col- that oh my god, forever. the Columbus Day Ooh. episode. Ooh, oh my god, so good. But yes, uh, okay, well, fantastic contributions to Stick It or Ticket. Next up, do we have some uncanny recommendations? Things that uh, people are listening to, watching, reading, uh, that people can check out, uh, especially if it's uh, related to anything that we're uh, ch- uh, checking out here at the museum? Well, yeah, I have actually two films that I highly recommend uh, to watch. The first being Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I believe came out in 2018 or so. It came out a little bit ago uh, by Celine Shema, which is uh, very, very good. Highly recommend it. It's on Hulu. Definitely give it a watch. It's probably one of the most pretty films I've seen in a while and just like Mm. describes the artistic process so well, you know, so so poetically and so well. Um, And the other... The other actually came out recently. It's a documentary from 2022 called All That Breathes. Uh, I think it's up for it's an Oscar. It's up for an Oscar right now. So I'm hoping it kind of takes oh, wow. it by uh, Shaunak Sen. I believe the director's name is. It's so good. I highly recommend everybody watches. It's the closest I've seen to stuff that like is similar in terms of aesthetically of the work that I like to make video wise. But it's essentially this director going and filming the story of these two brothers in Delhi, India, who run a bird clinic in their house. And they focus specifically on the black kites in the area in Delhi and help, you know, resuscitate those and bring those who are either damaged from pollution or injured and such back to health while also navigating, you know, all the issues there too. And they get into a lot of like, you know, the environmental situations in, in Delhi and also that since they're carnivorous birds, they tend to be looked at uh, differently. And, you know, but it's also all it's more like cinema verite in a way where it's all just coming off as dialogue, whether or not it's scripted. I don't know, but it's very, mm-hmm. it's very, very beautiful. And I think definitely a necessary watch for sure. So I highly recommend that. Um, cool. But I would say that's about it for right now in terms of what I've seen recently that's been really um, you know, impactful. Nice, nice. I think yeah. as far as I go, um, you know, just really impactful movies. I gotta say, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Ah, so good, <laughs> so good. Oh my gosh, that, so much better was, than you would think it was. You know, that was one of the last movies that I watched, and it oh, is classic. Very quickly, my one of my favorite animated movies. It's it is so good, so good. and no right? one expected it to be so good. It went so hard, and it's like, is this actually a kids' movie? You know, like just some of the right. themes. It's pretty crazy. You got you keep talking about this movie like that. I might actually have to see it. I have not I kept like up it. with. I I I think the last Shrek movie I saw was maybe like, uh, the the one with Rumpelstiltskin. Oh yeah, uh, that one was rough. Yeah, the one <laughs> that's much like, does, doesn't feel like a movie. Right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, I definitely recommend you watch Puss in Boots. Um, as far as music goes, um, I mean, an artist I've listened to for a long time, his name is Chet Faker. Chet Faker's awesome. Oh, yeah. It's like a, 
sometimes has like a jazzy electronic type of sound. Um, definitely recommend. Um, he's an Australian artist that a lot of people, mm-hmm. as far as I know, never hear about. So I recommend mm-hmm. Jeff Fager. Fantastic. Nice. Very cool. Um, let's see. Uh, recently, uh, I guess on my end, uh, I've been on, I've been on an Almond Brothers, uh, kick recently for some reason. Uh, I think I'm not a jam band person, but I will say eat a peach might be a good place uh, for for people to uh, jump on just in terms of it's got it's got some radio hits on it. But then it's also got like, you know, Mm. uh, some intense blues jam band like, oh, this is a this is a. an eight minute long, uh, you know, Hammond B3 solo that we're going to listen to. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know, obviously Almond Brothers, stellar slide guitar and uh, Melissa, if, if nothing else, listen to Melissa. Fantastic. Okay. Song. Word. Um, and then uh, this is this is a recommendation for a book that I haven't gotten my hands on yet. I started reading it in a bookstore and then didn't end up going back to the bookstore to get it, but I'm probably just going to end up uh, ordering it online because I was really enjoying it. Uh, it was called, it's called other lands by Thomas holiday. Oh. Um, and it's sort of written, uh, you know, somewhat like, like, uh, uh, the narration of a novel, but it is going through different, uh, periods of earth's history describing, you know, a, a day in the life slice of life of, uh, what, what it meant to, uh, to, to eke out a living in, in a, in a time and place, uh, all across, uh, all of these, uh, ex- now extinct, uh, biomes. Uh, and it okay. moved me in the bookstore and I, I meant to go back and get it and did not. Uh, uh, so I am going to, I hope the rest of the book is good, but, uh, <laughs> if that uh, sounds like it interests you, uh, I, I recommend going to check out the other lands by Thomas mm-hmm. holiday. Nice. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Um, let's see. Uh, and then the other order of business is what people have going on outside of the museum. Uh, Christian, I know you have, a uh, actually some very exciting things to plug. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, as far as my social media goes, you guys can find me at Crikey is Christian. Um, I'm on TikTok, which I'm not very active on, but uh contents there nonetheless so tiktok instagram and twitter uh, at crackets christian i am a wildlife educator psychomer and conservationist basically discussing different species of life on our planet past and present uh conservation efforts and what you as an individual can do what we all can do to make sure that um life today doesn't meet the same fate as light in the past um i am also part of a book team a uh, major book that's coming up uh at some point is project paleo zoo at least that's our social mm-hmm. media handle um project paleo zoo is on twitter and instagram basically it is a massive book project of 17 people working together um Whoa. to create um this art book of a dinosaur zoo in essence an es- um a zoo of extinct life mammals reptiles and more I am the team's lead writer, social media manager, and zoological consultant. And overall, it is, again, a real 
fictional zoo that you can go through the pages and just feel the memory and the wonder that you felt as a kid when you're walking through and seeing elephants and drabs and lions. It is amazing stuff that me as well as many other of our artists and writers have just been working tirelessly on. I can't say enough great things. So if you do want any updates, you want to see some of the art and get a taste of what's to come, Project Pelly Zoo on Instagram and Twitter. Wow. 100% going to be no, checking that, that out. That sounds like an incredible uh, labor of love of so many people. Yes, yes. And uh, yeah, no, if you're familiar at all with the project, you will see the passion. And mm-hmm. honestly, like what a fantastic, fun idea. Uh, yes. No, honestly. Insanely exciting. Uh, Joe, uh, what do you have going on outside the museum? Uh, I don't have too much going on at the moment that I can definitively say. A lot of uh, proposals, lots of things in the works, you know. But uh, hopefully we're going to have some music soon. I'm making decisions regarding albums and releases and all of that. So my music's just sitting on a hard drive. Got to make some decisions. But until then, right now, not much going on. How about you, Zam? What do you have going on? So uh, I have the usual things to plug. My solo show is opening uh, less than a month from now. Uh, at Darcy Simpson Gallery in Hudson, New York. If you uh, are up there, please go check it out. But more specifically, if you uh, happen to be in Hudson, let's say from 5 to 8 p.m. on March 25th, uh, I will be there for the opening of the show, uh, as uh, as well as some special guests Mm. uh, with another project that I am working on. Um, I also, uh, have finally, finally, uh, you can go to the John C. Campbell Folk Schools website and you will be able to see, uh, my class, uh, is open and ready for registration, Shape and Shadow, uh, the first week of August. So if you are in North Carolina and want to take a really intense, um, uh, oil painting class, uh, figurative oil painting class. I will be teaching there, uh, and I'm just super, super excited to, uh, you know, have this opportunity to teach. And then uh, I just found out about this. I am going to be in uh, not. Uh, it was uh, at first a virtual in January, but now is an actual in the flesh show at oh. Viridian Artists. Um, April 25th to May 20th. Uh, So that is Viridian Artists in uh, Manhattan. And my piece, uh, Paper Airplane, will be up in that show. Uh, So, um, yeah, uh, it will be... uh, I'm finally in a New York York City show. Hey, welcome. It's very fun. It's a nice nice boost for sure. Congrats, man. Thank you. Yes, and that is the, again, that is the uh, Director's Choice exhibit, uh, April 25th to may 20th very nice but that is what i have to definitively say if you'd like to find the museum after hours we are at uncanny county museum on instagram check out our patreon for all sorts of great rewards at different levels if you want to find me after hours i am at xanosaurus on instagram and i'm at Josemino art on instagram and i'm at crack gates christian And from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Cimino. I've been Christian Flores. Rock out with your crock out. Bye.